Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask now that you would take each part of this service. Lord, we pray that our worship and songs would be glorifying to your name and that each one of us would sing with all we can to make a joyful noise to our Lord. Lord, we ask that you would be with the special music, the offering, the invitation, the preaching, every part of this service, Lord. We ask that you would work in our hearts that we may glorify thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. And don't forget to pray for our men and ladies that are down there helping with the children during this part of the service. And uh, what I want us to do is try to accomplish several, several things this morning. Um, One is to give a biblical commentary on what is often considered a a very difficult passage in Scripture. uh, We believe that the Bible interprets the Bible. We believe the greatest commentary, the, the greatest place, if you want to understand the Bible, is look in the pages of the Bible. And uh, just while we're there, I'll uh, touch on this. This is why we have Bible reading schedules. Um, if, if you will follow this schedule just as it's outlined, you will read through the Old Testament once, the New Testament twice, the book of Psalms twice, and the book of Proverbs once a month. It, it's a good place to start in your Bible reading. Could you do more than that? Absolutely. Should you do more than that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, it, you cannot read too much of the Bible, but you cannot start allowing uh, and understanding how the Bible connects until you get enough of it inside of you that the Holy Spirit of God can start making those connections for you. And so that's why we encourage you. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9 and then take your bulletin or your finger, bookmark, something like that, and go to Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to spend the most part of our time this morning. But what I would like to preach on, the title for this message, where what I want you to think about as we try to apply the Scriptures to our daily life is the biblical cure for selfishness. It always gets quiet when you say that word. You know, because if if there is a sin that we do not deal with as Christians, is that not the one? Uh, By the way, uh, there's another biblical word that is what selfishness really is. Pride. It, it is the greatest sin in all the Bible. Now, you know, something about selfishness, we go, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, except what's in the Cabela's catalog, if you're a sportsman. Uh, or the... Uh, uh, you know, uh, whatever uh, catalogs, and of course, that dates you. We do not have catalogs today. Everything's online. Uh, and, 
Everything that you see and all, everything is designed to make you want something that you don't have. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, but I want this and I want that. I wish I had a dollar for every person that said, listen, I want to serve the Lord, I want the Bible, I, I want Jesus, I, but pastor, I just want a good life. I just want to have my bills paid and I want to live a happy life. Well, I promise you, you're never going to find it searching for it that way. You know, there's a word that we don't have to teach the children in our nursery. Mine! And you pray for our nursery workers because uh, they have to put up with an awful lot. And even once in a while, we have someone who is... Uh, very blessed in the vocal area, and we hear them through two walls and all kinds of soundproofing in between and uh, everything, and some of that sound still leaks out into the auditorium. And don't ever, ever get upset about little children. That's our theme this year, isn't it? Let the little children come unto me. And so pray for our nursery workers. But selfishness is something... That we all battle with. We all have a problem. We, you're never going to get past selfishness totally till you get to heaven. But Jesus had a cure for it. And, and the main cure is right here in Luke chapter 9. But then we're going to look at a parable that Jesus gave in Luke chapter 16. And prayerfully be able to put the two together and help Uh, make more clear the teaching here in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he, Jesus, and he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, that's pretty straightforward. But look at verse 24. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So as Jesus was teaching here in Luke chapter 9, he said, if any of you are going to follow me, the first thing you must do is deny yourself. Take up your cross. In Luke's account, he puts a word in there. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 16, if you would. And we're going to start reading in verse 1. And he, Jesus, and he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? 
Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg. I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou, my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he, Jesus, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sights, in the sight of God. Now, as we read Luke chapter 16, we have the parable of the unjust steward. And the commentators, they just got a problem with the unjust steward, and they they got a problem with uh, the wording of our text here. And, uh, in fact, there are many of the commentators whose first recourse is to criti- criticize the translation and, and try to change the words. Now, we're not of that group. We, we do not believe it is our job to criticize the translation. We believe it's our job to obey the words of God's book. Could we say amen to that? Okay, there we go. And so, as we read this story, we say, this this doesn't sound very good. We got a steward here who is accused of wasting or stealing or, or being careless with his master's goods. And so, the master calls him and says, listen, uh, we're going to do an audit. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of this and... And you are going to lose your job and your position because you have not been faithful in the disposition of your duties. But at the end here, we have Jesus commending the unjust Lord. Was he commending him for his lack of diligence in his duty? Absolutely not. There are many other verses in the Bible that condemn that kind of behavior. Well, this unjust steward then calls in all of his master's creditors. 
Now, do you get what's going on here? If you are a manager in a bank, and all of a sudden a bunch of money was missing out of accounts, and you called in the person who was managing those accounts and said, Hey, we got a lot of unpaid bills here. There's money that should be in these accounts. It's not in these accounts. What did you do? You're going to lose your job. Would you be demanding that the guy who had already stolen money give you the final accounting, or would you be calling in an independent auditor to do the job? Hello? Uh, so we're, we're learning some things about this Lord here. This Lord that's in this story is not Jesus. It's not God. Uh, he was rather careless in his administration, was he not? Isn't that the manager's job to make sure that the people under you are doing their job? He didn't even care. In fact, it was someone else that ratted this guy out. Probably someone who wanted his job. Boy, does that sound like modern times or what? You know, the Bible is always up to date, is it not? People don't change. Circumstances do. And, and so we, we learn a few things here about this Lord that he's not near as careful as he should be either now, is he? And so now this manager, this steward, calls in all the people that actually owe money or goods, as we will see, and he doctors the books. He has already wasted his Lord's money, and now arguably he's stealing from his Lord. Are either of these things good? Absolutely not. I read one commentary that put this thing in such excellent perspective. Every once in a while, read something good in a commentary. It's not all bad. But he said, The unjust steward understood that not only was his Lord unjust, but the creditors were unjust. And he did the absolute best that he could in the situation, working with the fact that the Lord was not very careful in what he was doing, that the creditors that actually owed the money, they weren't going to be scrupulous and say, no, I can't change that fact. And he worked this thing out in the way that we would call a con artist or any, uh, you know, quick-witted person there. He worked it out. And Jesus made a statement here. He said, the children of the world, let's, let's look at it here. I think it's um, verse 8. The Lord, now this is the guy who had been stolen from twice. His money had been wasted, and now the guy has shortchanged him on what is owed him. And he says, wow, you pulled a fast one here. He said, the children of, the, of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, 
was Jesus commending the unjust steward because he had, what we would say, pulled a fast one? Because he had manipulated wrong and made better out of it? Actually, he was commending the unjust steward because he understood and lived in the world in which he was found. Which is a great contrast to the way most Christians treat God. Now, that's a jump there. And so, let's, let's be careful here as we get into this. You see, the unjust steward understood the carelessness of his Lord. That's why the Lord commends him. He says, wow, you took a really rotten situation and really worked it out to your own betterment. i got to hand it to you. You, 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 you. you took with what was in your bounds and used it for your own betterment. I, I just got to tip, tip my hat. And, of course, the creditors, they thought, wow, i got a sale. i got a real deal here. Well, next week, guess who was showing up on the doorstep of the guy who owed the oil? Hey, remember me? Yeah. Remember that deal I gave you last week? Yeah, I don't have a place to live this week. You wouldn't mind if my family and I moved in for about uh, 16 years, would you? That's, that's what he did. Now... The unjust steward treated his Lord as he deserved to be treated. Didn't he? He was careless. He didn't even know what he was owed. He didn't know anything. That, that's not very good lordship now, is it? And he took advantage of his situation... And in a worldly sense, and only in a worldly sense, this is, there's nothing good that happened in this story. Please understand. But this unjust steward, he made the best deal that he could out of a bad deal. That he had gotten himself into because he was careless. And so he took advantage of the dishonesty of the people that owed the money, the, dis, the dishonesty truly of the Lord. That's why this was not a, the Lord in this story. He's not God. He, he's just a, a, a master, an owner, and he was not very careful. And, and the owner sitting there, wow, you, you just, you, you, I, I commend you for doing the best with what you could. And so, we move on to the application in verse 10. And this is where we're going to dig in and, and hopefully make this thing put together here for you. You see, our Lord keeps track of everything, doesn't He? How many of us in our dealing with God treat Him less than He deserves? You follow what I'm saying here? When, when we pray, when we talk to God, how many of you, how many of us 
when we deal with our own personal sin, sometimes just leave something out. Like maybe God didn't really see that. How many times do we treat God exactly the way the unjust steward treated his dishonest Lord? See, that's not honest now, is it? Are are we together? You see, this is what Jesus was trying to teach here. He says, He that is, verse 10, faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. We we might just call this the faithfulness rule. And, And believe it or not, we apply this everywhere we go. In, in your work situation, wherever you work, if you have a supervisor, what are they doing? They're checking you to make sure that you're carrying out your responsibilities. Isn't that true? And if you don't do a good job, what happens? Well, the first time layoffs come up, you get laid off. Uh, if you're not doing a good job, when promotions come up, you don't get promoted now, do you? Uh, we, we often call this in the world, you get promoted to the level of incompetency. You do a good job, you get promoted. You do a good job, you get promoted. You do a good job and you get promoted to a job you don't like because you can't do it. And that's where you get stuck for the rest of your life. Uh, let me tell you, God does not work that way. But the reason most of us never get promoted is because we haven't been faithful where he put us. This is the rule of faithfulness. If if you're not faithful in that which is least, you're not going to be faithful in much. So you're never going to get much. And, And we look here at verse 11 and Jesus takes the contrast a little further. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches... And if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now, that's an interesting phrase there. In verse 12. Why, why would he say, if you have not been faithful in that which is another man's? Well, could we start this out? If you're under the age of 18 and you're here this morning, what do you own that really doesn't belong to someone else? Stop and think about it. If you're a child, if you're a minor, it's not very likely, especially in New York City, you're not going to own your own car because you can't drive until you're 18 anyway. Uh, if you, most of your clothes, you did not earn the money and go out and purchase them yourself. Some your parents take care of you. Your food, uh, the, the most of the time, the spending money you have, your cell phone, everything you have was given to you by someone. And parents ought to take care of their children. Amen. That's what Jesus is... If you haven't been faithful with things that belong to someone else, 
guess what? As a child, everything you have belongs to someone else. It's given to you. And, by the way, our theme this year is we're to be followers of God as dear children. We're to become as little children so that, so that we can... You got to be saved first, and then the job of growing up in Christ is becoming that little child that's totally dependent upon Christ. And, and, and there's nothing more difficult than when you get a whole bunch of selfish children in the same room. You know what that's called? School. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, but. We're supposed to be serving Christ, right? How do I lose my life? How do I deny myself? How do I deal with selfishness in my own life? Well, number one, I've got to get a hold of this faithfulness rule. You know, when you first get saved, do you know what you're entrusted with? The grace of Almighty God. That's how you get saved. Grace through faith. All you have to do is believe God enough to ask for it. He'll save you. Can we say amen to that? And God gives you an eternal salvation. You didn't earn it. You didn't do enough good. It belongs to God. And He gives it to you. You know who paid for your salvation? Jesus Christ, it is finished. That's who paid for it. He gives you something. Now, what are you going to do with it? Say, well, you know, being in church, boy, that's tough. I mean, it takes a lot of dedication. I've had many people, well, you know, all all you want me to do is just show up at church. Well, let's start there. Amen? Amen. Uh, Let's be faithful there before we try to move forward. Let's, Let's not treat God like an unjust Lord with unjust servants. Let us honor God as the eternal, omnipotent creator of this universe who knows everything about us. And still chooses to love us. Remember the story of old Naaman the leper? Why do I have to take a bath in the Jordan River? Why do I have to wash here seven times? Am I going to be uh, cleaner here than taking a bath at home in the beautiful rivers of Damascus? Yeah. Because God said, take a bath in the muddy little Jordan. And you know what? He was faithful in that which was least. And he was the only leper healed in the days of Elisha the prophet. Elijah, sorry. You know something? Elisha. I'll get it right before long. So let's keep moving. Verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. 
we have the one we have the faithfulness rule as Jesus is applying this parable this unjust judge was not commended for uh his actions other than the fact that he treated his lord and the creditors as they should have been treated we're we're dealing in a world where everyone was dishonest in this parable Now we're going to move over to the other side, the application here. And my unfaithfulness to my faithful Lord is an insult to the goodness of God. Are we together there? My attempts at disloyalty are the highest offense to a God who was so loyal to me that He sent Jesus to die in my place. You know, the great promise of the new Christianity that is gaining so much ground today, and by the way, uh, uh, just so you know, as we have seen the emergence of these quote-unquote mega or super churches that are out there, Overall church attendance has gone down. Even though we have this church in uh, Houston, Texas, what, 20,000, 50,000 people are supposed to be there on regular occasions. And, and we have Willow Creek and Rick Warren's church and all of these things. And we have uh, in towns, we have these great churches. Overall church attendance is down because the worship of the true God is down. Because the promise of being able to serve two masters is influencing all the society in which we live. The idea that you don't have to be this radical super Christian. You can just be a haphazard, show up on Sunday and God is happy with you. Well, by all means, show up on Sunday. Amen? That's part of being faithful in that which is least. But would you be of the group that would say, Oh, God, you, you know my heart. I just love you. And laugh at the dirty jokes in the break room all week. and Put your mind to everything that you can and... Be the best rat you can in the rat race. and Really, that's the story of the unjust judge, wasn't it? He won the rat race, didn't he? But he was a rat. So were the creditors and so was the Lord. I mean, they were all rats in that story. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that if this unjust steward can measure up his boss and the people under him, and make things work, why can't the children of light measure up God and themselves in the world in which we live? And through the power that God has promised us, make our Christianity work. 
Amen? This is the story of the unjust judge, is it not? And unjust steward. And we have here this last part after the serving of two masters. You, you must choose who you're going to serve. There's, there's, Jesus is uh, uh, not offering any, any compromise with this at all. If you're not going to be faithful with what you have, if you're not going to be faithful in your job, if you're not going to be faithful in your school classes and studying, if you're not going to be faithful... When it talks about here, Jesus asks the question in verse 11, If therefore you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And they tried to make that... Well, if you unrighteous mammon talking about the rewards of wickedness. Uh, Wait a minute. That's not what it's talking about here. It says if you can't be a good, honest employee, how in the world is God going to give you eternally good things? If you can't be faithful. uh, I've often... Uh, when I preach at Heartland, I usually try to work this into a sermon one way or another. There's a lot of times people are searching for the will of God. And, of course, Heartland has been nicknamed Heartland, Bridal, Heartland Baptist Bridal College, you know, because all the people that get married there and everything. And, and uh, uh, work for Rachel and Leland, I think. But they got married after school. But uh, the, the, the point of the matter is... They have all these ideas and say, well, well, what if I, what if I miss the one that God has for me? Well, let me tell you how to miss the one that God has for you. You go out there looking on your own trying to find them. I'll tell you, there's a rule. And, and guys, I'm, I'm trying to be kind, but girls, you, you listen to this too. If they're desperate, you better watch out. Do you know what I mean by that? If, if you're dating someone and they're desperate, they're, they're willing to do anything you say, agree to everything so you'll get married. Hey, watch out. That's not a good place to go. That's not safe. There's a lot of guys out there who who will do anything to get that young lady down the aisle and then they want to put her in the trophy room and go out and take care of all the other things in life. Hey, that's not marriage. Listen. When it talks about being faithful and unrighteous mammon, it's not talking about things that are evil. God doesn't want you to be faithful in things that are evil. But money is the world system. That's what mammon is. It belongs to the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. If you can't be faithful with money, what would you do with the streets of gold, my friend? You know, there are some people that God's not going to let into the New Jerusalem because they'd be chiseling off the pearly gates and trying to hawk them at a pawn shop. 
Not going to happen, my friend. Not even close. Those people aren't going to get anywhere near those pearly gates. Just a little hyperbole there, all right? And so, we have a faithfulness rule. We have a one master rule. And then we have the Pharisees. You see, they were covetous. Everything in the Pharisees' life was about get what you can and can what you get. Oh, lots of Pharisees around today, are there not? Nothing new, just different names. And they derided Jesus. They laughed at him. That's silly. Uh, why are you listening to this guy? That, that has nothing to do with real Christians. This is what they were saying. And Jesus says, Listen, guys. You're of that group that justify yourselves. And that's perfectly okay until you give account, not to the Lord of our story. Because the Lord of our story wasn't really that good of a guy. But you're going to give an account to the God of heaven. And you're going to find out that that which is esteemed with man is held in abomination by God. Now that's a terrifying thought, is it not? You see... God wants us to be thoughtful believers, purposeful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that astounded me is my wife and I were on deputation. This goes back to 1989, 90, and and, uh, into parts of 1991 as we raised our support, just like a missionary does, to move to Astoria and start the church here. We spent a year in Elmhurst working with the church. It no longer there, moved to another place. And, and then we came here to Astoria. But one of the things is we traveled to those churches that just really embedded itself in my heart and my soul was I met so many people in faithful, giving people, serving God that had no clue. If he asked them to explain John 3.16, they couldn't do it. That terrified me. How in the world do we have all these churches full of people and they don't even know the simplest things in the Word of God? And that's one of the reasons why I preach and teach the way I do. Because if you don't know the least simple things in your Bible, I don't want it to be my fault. I want to challenge you with God's Word. We're, we're not going to skip over the difficult passages, and this most certainly is one. If you can understand this passage, if we get through this and you read it, and you can see those things that are... Clearly in this passage, I want to challenge you, 
you're, you're way ahead of most people who hold the Bible. But we still got to do something about that, do we not? Bible knowledge is not an end in itself. As we learned in our Sunday school lesson, they were astonished at the doctrine of Paul, Saul. And if we're going to do anything, we, we need to have a doctrine like Saul had. That doesn't mean you want to go around, be blind for a season. Oh, come on, let's, let's just not go there. How about be faithful in your church attendance Sunday morning, Sunday night, Thursday night, visitation. How about Sunday school or through the Bible time? How, how about starting there? That's... That's that's a least thing, is it not? If you're here today and you're saved, would you not be faithful with your salvation and give a public testimony in the baptistry of faith in Jesus Christ? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a least thing? I think it would be. If you want God to commit to yourself, to commit to you, the greatest and most wonderful blessings of, of His goodness. The Bible says He's already given His own Son. What wouldn't God withhold from those that believe? Can we honor God as the Lord that He truly is? That He knows everything. We cannot hide our unjustness from Him. The Bible says if we're going to esteem Him, let's be faithful to go to Him and confess our sins to Him. Let's be faithful to this book enough to recognize when we've done wrong and talk to God about it. Because if we'll be faithful in those little things, God will commit to us true things. Great things. Much. If we'll be faithful in the unrighteous mammon, the possessions that God has given us, it says He'll commit to us true riches. If we'll understand that we're little children and that which God has given us really doesn't belong to us, and we'll be faithful in that which God has given us? Oh, guess what's going to happen when you get to heaven? Because it's all going to be yours, for real. You'll have a glorified body. You'll be one with Jesus Christ. All of the things that you fought with on this earth are going to be gone. You know, I think if there's anything that I'm going to enjoy about eternity is the fact that I'll never have to go to God and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. Oh, could we not just get a hold of that? Would that not be the greatest riches that you could enjoy?
complete obedient service to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. You know, if I never have to tell him I'm sorry, I did wrong, I'll never have to look at another human being or an angel or anybody in eternity and say, you know, I messed up. Wouldn't that be incredible? Could you buy that with Bill Gates' fortune? Could you? Let's go back to Luke chapter 9. We'll be done. We'll try to finish on time this morning. Luke chapter 9. Now let's take that parable of the unjust judge. And let's look at verse 23 and see if we can fit this together. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Does that sound like being faithful in that which is least? It's just saying no to myself and yes to the Lord. I'll take care of the little things, my Bible reading, my church attendance. If if you're not saved today, it's because you're being unfaithful in the message of the gospel that's been committed to you, my friend. It is simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The work of salvation was completed in Jesus Christ. All you have to do is believe on Him. Alone. Nothing else. No church. No Nothing else. Just for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you be faithful with that? If you would, that means you're going to get wet in the baptistry. You're going to serve God in His church. Those are the least things. You're going to want to read this book called the Bible, even though it's hard to read. It says, take up His cross daily. You know, the cross, when Jesus used that word, meant something so much different than you and I think of it today. I mean, I stand before a pulpit that's in the shape of a cross. The empty cross is the symbol of the church of Jesus Christ. And we say that on purpose because a crucifix is not the symbol of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered once to pay the price for all sin forever. The cross is empty because it is finished, my friend. And our faith and our trust is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if we'll be faithful with that, God will commit to us true and eternal riches of being with Him forever in heaven, in glory. But you know, that old flesh keeps coming back. That's why Jesus said, take up His cross daily. The cross is a symbol of death. Cross is one of the most horrid ways. I mean, today uh, in our society, we we almost have outlawed capital punishment. And if and if we do uh, actually exercise that God-given authority of capital punishment against a murderer, it's usually only against a mass murderer or some horrible horrible person and they won't let it be made public or anybody see and I'm not a gore hound I'm not out there looking for terrible things my friend trust me 
But let me tell you something. Every Jew that heard Jesus' teaching had seen Jewish men and Jewish men die on a Roman cross. You talk about something, I mean, if you tried to, old Mel Gibson tried to make a movie about the passion of the Christ and it was R-rated. Because what happened on the cross was a terrible thing. It, it, it should not be viewed by little children. But let me tell you, the Roman soldiers had no problems making little children look at people die on the cross. When Jesus said, take up your cross daily, it was something that brought utter revulsion to the souls of everyone that heard those words. He said, because if you will save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life, if you'll give it up, it says, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. I'll tell you what, I am so glad I lost my life. August 28th, 1977, I gave up my life. I'm glad that Jesus didn't let me plan my own life and do my own thing and say, I'll bless it. He said, I want you to live your life at my direction and I'll bless it. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade my life for anybody's. The good things that God has bought, the true riches that are there. You can't buy the blessings of God. But I'll tell you what, you can lose them. We need to follow God as dear children. We need to be careful that we do not treat God with less respect and less integrity than the unjust steward treated his Lord and his creditors. Do you get that point? If if we do not understand who God is and how great His love for us is, we'll, we'll never be faithful in that which is least. And we'll never have an opportunity to enjoy much. If we try to take God's grace and use it as an excuse to be lazy and careless in the things of this life, do you think God's going to commit to you the greatest and most special blessings that he has for everyone who will believe on his name? I tell you, he won't. If you don't take care of what belongs to God, why would God give you something that belongs to you? You see, we got every one of us. Hope you understand. I'm not preaching at you this morning. I am preaching with you. We all, we all have this malady. It's called selfishness. Me first. We live in the me generation. How many times have I quoted the daytimers? I mean, I used to carry one in my pocket because it was the only way I could remember things. Now, 
Now I keep everything on my calendar on my phone and then it doesn't sync with the computer and I lose it and I go crazy because I can't remember things. And it's not because I'm old. It's because I have too much to remember. Amen? That's an excuse. Uh, and so use it. But uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our kids. It's not about your kids. It's not about anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? If we'll be faithful with that, it opens the doors to God's greatest blessings and only hope of the future that we can have. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would work in each heart and life here today. Lord, that we would not take offense in the fact that we have done wrong. That we would just be honest. And we would esteem you as a God who knows our every thought. And we would treat you with the respect and integrity that you deserve. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and minds as we walk through this week. That we would be faithful in the little things. So that you would give us greater things to work in. Lord, that we would be careful with the least, with the things of this world, with what belongs to you so that you could commit to us true riches and that which you so desire to give to us. Lord, we ask that we would lose our lives so that we could keep them. That we would not be among those who lose their souls or those who are castaways. But one day we would hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn this